0: Hello listeners, welcome back for another episode of the 1970. I am Ed, and joining me today is Mark Damon. Mark, how are you today?
1: I'm doing alright. I had to pay 150 bucks to go watch the Giants lose, but I've learned my lesson. I realized there was a reason I didn't go to Giant Games anymore. But um, you know what? Overall though, a good weekend. Um, we got some stuff to talk about today, I think.
0: But let's just dive in real quick. Let's talk about that win over knees. It was four to one on the road. Um, I was a little nervous about this game, um, but then Angel Di Maria came in, and after 20 minutes, pretty much sealed the deal for PSG, um, especially his second goal, which was a, just a spectacular chip over the keeper. I thought was a strong candidate for goal of the season, and, and, and Angel Di Maria has really just been – I think I, I wrote a piece about how he's really been our MVP. With so many injuries, he's been so consistent, the creative force for PSG, scoring goals – um, just fantastic. So he had two goals. He had Kylian Mbappe scored after I think he was in the game for five minutes and he already got a goal. And then he assisted for Mario Cardi's stoppage time goal um, to, to make it 4-1. But what are your overall thoughts about that game in general?
1: Games uh, after international breaks are always a little bit of a um, mystery and surprise. So it was good that PSG got ahead early. And Di Maria is... He's a, I don't know if he's a top 10 all-time PSG player. I don't think he's that. But he's a guy that for the last few years has been very much maligned at times. But I think people are starting to come around to just how good he is and how valuable he can be. And that he's not always going to be a metrics guy. He's not going to be great in possession. He's not going to always make the best pass. He's not always going to defend particularly well or at all, but when you need a guy to break a game open and turn, you know, a game that could have gotten very ugly and very in the mud, he turned that game into an open game because he got those two early goals, and it allowed for PSG to kind of play the style of game they wanted to play, and that seems to me what, they, what they're what they trying to do. They want to get that lead early, and good teams always do. You want, if you're Barcelona, Real Madrid, Bayern Munich, you want to get a lead early because then it forces the other team to have to play catch-up, and it forces them to have to get out of whatever game plan that they were going to implement. So it really is important that PSG score as early as possible, especially against a team like Nice, who you saw in the second half actually started playing better. Like they started stringing passes together, but that first half they couldn't get the ball out of their own end. Like they just looked really inept. And unfortunately PSG were pretty much gifted the game in the 70th minute when the ref just decided to expel two Nice players for, it just it wasn't good officiating. It's that kid that looks like he's sixteen, <laughs> that referee who yeah. you know, always looks like he's in over his head, you know who I'm talking. I think it's French uh, uh, Francois Texier or something. That's
0: yes, yeah. I just pulled that yeah, out. And it's...
1: it's just he you know he's like baby turpon. Like he you can tell he's got that face where it's like just it's a very slappable face. <laughs> and I can see how that, you know, Nice just were essentially taken out of the game like the ref let the situation get to a point where it got out of control and he had to send those two players off and PSG disposed of Nice from there so it would have been interesting to see if PSG could have sustained the last 20 minutes of the match because it looked like they were tiring a little bit especially like Paredes and Herrera Mm -hmm. and those and definitely Silva and Marquinhos didn't look like they were quite back in form yet so you know again wins are wins so you have to you have to be um you have to be happy with it but obviously coming out of the break it wasn't their best performance and it was sort of papered over by the brilliance of Di Maria.
0: Yeah, speaking of slap to the faces, uh, that's why Christoph Perel uh, of Nice was sent off because he apparently put his hands on Paredes' face. Who, You know, Paredes did make the most of it, but again, don't put your hands on someone else's face and that won't happen to you. Um, Tuchel, uh, coming out of the international break, A lot of the players had just gotten back into Paris. Uh, I think he mentioned like Marco Verratti, for example, was just getting back maybe the day before. And then these guys who had already been on planes and traveling had to then board a plane and go down to Nice for this match. Um, And so a lot of those players were jet lagged and just not really up for this match. So Tuchel really had to, so he started Chupamoting. He had to put Paredes in midfield. He had Diallo playing right back. Um, you know, he had to fill in a lot of different holes here. And, I, I, you know, if they came out with a draw in this game coming out of the international break, I wouldn't be too upset with that result. So to really come out immediately and just punch Nice in the face and get those two goals from Di Maria, you couldn't have scripted it any better. Um, curious to get your thoughts on Paredes and how you thought that he did You're kind of sometimes a critic of his where he passes um, a little bit too horizontally. I thought in this match he did pretty well. Yeah, he passed.
1: Vertically, which is the goal.
0: (laughs) It's improvement.
1: It's what Tuchel wants in his offense. And look, again, 47 million euros, you should be getting a starter. Like, that's start, you're paying starter money. Yeah. And everything up to this point has pointed to Paredes being a bench player on this team. And that's not what you paid for. So that's where the criticism comes from. He hasn't been the worst player in the world. He hasn't been, he hasn't been Krakowiak. He hasn't been Benjamin Stambouli. Like he's been okay, but like you didn't pay for okay. You paid for yeah. game changing midfielder and you didn't get that. And again, you can say that, well, Antero Enrique overpaid. Yeah. And maybe we shouldn't have expected him to be any better than that. But, you know what? That's not an excuse for a player that is trying to come in and make a name for himself. And he's been jumped by Idrissa gay and uh, Andre Herrera, and who I thought Andrew Herrera was really good in this game too. Mm-hmm. Like he's, he's filling a role that PSG just haven't had in a long time, which is a midfielder that can, you know, come off the bench and basically keep the level about the same. Like, with Herrera you're not really missing much like Gueye is you know Gueye's hurt for the next you know couple games
0: yeah about 10 and days
1: ho- and you bring in Herrera and it's not the same it's not the, you're not getting the same sort of defensive production but he's a good enough player where you're not really missing that much you know it, it would hurt you in a bigger match but in these kind of matches it's not you know that that midfield of uh what was that? that midfield was Paredes, Herrera, and it was like a. It was it wasn't it wasn't quite a four three three. I don't think.
0: It was more like a four. Yeah, four,
1: 4-4-2. It worked. It wasn't terrible. So you know.
0: I I was a little worried just when you look at Herrera and Paredes, they're two players that aren't really known for their creativity, and I thought, well, you know, who's going to really feed Icardi and Sarabia and Di Maria? Come to find out, I mean, after that, I think it was the second or no, the first goal that Di Maria scored, you had a Cardi who dropped back right around midway and he got a ball. I think it was from Diallo, maybe. I forget I who so. passed. It yeah, whoever been. got him the ball. But he did this like one touch pass. that just sprung Di Maria clear on goal. The entire Nice defense was chasing behind him. And Di Maria scored, you know, easy right in the corner. No, no problem at all. But I mean, that kind of pass from a Cardi is why you bring him here. Cavani could never do that. We kind of tweeted about that, but like Cavani, that's just not a play Cavani. Not at could. this
1: point in his career. No. He doesn't not, have the creativity,
0: he doesn't have the skill. Icardi, I mean, that was exactly why we brought him here to do stuff like that. And then, you know, he got a poacher's goal at the end. So I mean, he's he's been great for us so far. And I haven't seen any of the off-the-field issues that people kept complaining about when we signed him. So again. We may be losers, according to some, but it's really you got to credit Leon, uh, Leonardo for the signing. I thought it was just fantastic. Um, so 4-1 against knees, nice, PSG, you're top of the table. Uh, we were at the time up five points. I'm just pulling it up right now. Nantes is still in second place. Yeah, we're still five points ahead uh, at the top of the table. So can't be mad about that after um, 10 matches played. So we're going to move on to a slightly different topic. I want to talk about Thomas Munie who did not play in this game against Nice, um, most likely because he was resting. He's been playing a lot of games at right back with the injury to Colin Dagba, um, and right back is just a position that we're a little bit light in, you know, as it is. So he's been having to play a lot of games. Plus he went away um, with Belgium, so he's been doing a lot of talking. He's been talking to Belgian press. He's been anyone who will stick a microphone in his face, he will talk to them and. Um, Our friend Jonathan Johnson had kind of talked about that as well, is that he is really angling for a new contract to stay at PSG. He revealed that Everton had expressed interest, and he could very well have gone there um, last summer. And I'm kind of glad he didn't, given our current situation. So he clearly loves PSG. He loves that they are in European competition. He wants to stay here. He loves the city. He's saying all the right things. Do you think that PSG should offer him a new contract? Do you think he's done enough to warrant that? Um, and do you think a lot of that depends on what they do in the January transfer window and what other right backs may be available?
1: Thomas Monier, yeah, and I, I, it does depend on what midfielders you have available too, because it's not, hmm. it's not cut and dry that. Um, it's not cut and dry that you sign him or not. Like, it, a yeah. lot of factors come into play here. Also, how good Colin Dagba could eventually end up being might come into play. And, obviously, Tilo Caro has been played at that right-back spot before. So, it's not yeah. – y- you can say that PSG have three right-backs, technically, that they can play there. Now, would you say any of them are particularly good yet? I don't know. Yeah. Um, Thomas Meunier knows when he has a good – like, Thomas Meunier is really smart. He's a, he's a, he reads a lot of books. He likes Paris because he likes the city. It's an intellectual city. He can, he's, he's just a very different kind of footballer. He's not like, he didn't come out of the favelas and the streets. He didn't, he was, he's not that kind of guy. He's a, he's a softer sort of more intellectually minded guy. He knows he has a good situation here. He gets paid a good amount of money. He starts more games usually than he sits. And he's in a good city. He's in a good situation with his family. And he gets to play in Champions League matches. He understands he's in a good situation. And I don't blame him for wanting to keep that going. Now, it's PSG that really have the decision here. And it's, you know, you don't want to be in that spot where you get rid of a guy who could be valuable and useful to you. And then. You can't get that right back that you want. PSG had this problem a year ago when they got rid of a bunch of people and they couldn't really replace them, so last year's squad was really threadbare. So they don't want that. You want to obviously have a guy ready to sign when you let Meunier go. So it's a little early to tell. And If your question is, should they re-sign him?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. I would say... In my mind, it's sixty forty, no to yes, mm. but again, it, it's hard because you don't really know what's out there, and it's not like you can just, as we've learned over the years, you can't just be like, oh, we're PSG, we just, we can sign anybody we want, and then it's like, you know, we what do we try like a year and a half to sign Rafael Guerrero, and we couldn't do it, so he <laughs> signed an extension with Dortmund recently. Yeah, like this isn't this isn't easy, so. It really does depend and if you have a guy like Tomas Munye, who is a serviceable right back, definitely in League Gun, he's got his problems, he's not a good defender, he's not the most smooth on the ball, but in situations where he can make runs and you know, make runs down the right side and get into the box and create some havoc, the guy can be useful. So to answer your question, long story short, 60-40, I don't think they keep him around. But, it, again, it depends. It's hard to really read at this point.
0: We're going to talk a little bit about the fullback situation in the next topic. But I'm going to say if everything stays the same and no fullback, no right back was signed in January, and we're coming up against a Bayern Munich in the Champions League February, if I had a choice between Colin Dagba or Thomas Munier, I'm going to go with the, the more experienced Mounier. That, that's just me. I feel a little bit more comfortable. I don't know if I've seen enough out of Colin Dagba, and I don't know if I would feel comfortable with Diallo or anyone else who can kind of sort of play in the right-back position. I think you're exactly right that Mounier really knows that he's in a good situation here where unless PSG go out and sign a right-back, that he's probably going to be the first choice for any big games coming up. And I, I, You know, you said exactly he's a intellectual. He loves living in Paris. The idea of him uprooting his family and going to live in Liverpool, of all places. I mean, I'm sure Liverpool is a fine city, but it's not Paris. It just isn't. And um, Everton is, is the second team in that city. Um, so I don't think that was really a destination he ever really wanted to entertain. So I think he's going to roll the dice. He's going to bet on himself and say, like, hey, I've got from now until – I guess, January to really prove myself. He's coming up against his former team, Bruges, in the Champions League. Maybe he has a coming out party there. Maybe he scores a couple of goals. Maybe he has a a great performance and he earns that contract. I hope he does because I think he is talented. You know, he did have that kind of social media uh, faux pas where he complimented the Marseille fans. So I think he's going to want to have that back. But I think if he can put in some good performances, the fans will come around, hopefully, and And um, we'll see. I think he's betting on himself here. And like I said, I think I would rather have him over any other option we have at that position. Um, But speaking of the fullback position, let's just skip over to our third topic. This is something that I tweeted out and I asked, you know, who should PSG sign in the January transfer window? I say, give me some names and why. And overwhelmingly, people said the fullback position needs to be addressed, right back and left back. And there were two names in particular that came up. And that was Yusuf Atal from Nice, who did not play. I think he had too many yellow card uh, accumulation, kind of like Juan Bernat did for us. And um, the other name was Kenny Lala, who is at Strasbourg right now. Um, And I wrote a piece about this, just kind of looking at the two players. And what I had come to the realization that, uh, Lala at Strasbourg is really the player that PSG should be targeting. He's 28 years old. He's a little bit more experienced. He did play um, Europa League this year. Strasbourg was knocked out. His contract runs out two years before Atal. Um, and these under new management, I don't think they really want to let their prize asset go at this point. So I think that Lala may be more attainable. Um, and transfer market, when I looked it up, rated him about $14 million. So that's a good price, and he's much less injury-prone. I think Atal had that collarbone fracture that he suffered in international play this summer. So when you look at him side-by-side, side, I think that's the the right-back that we should really be going after, and I think with Mounier, Lala, Dagba, we should be set at that position until, obviously, next season. But are there any other names out there? Some people say maybe Serge Aurier. Coming back to Paris, would you say that that might be a good idea? Is there another name that you have? I
1: I don't I I almost I'm not. It's not that I completely disregard the idea that PSG are gonna go make a major signing at left back or right back in the transfer window, but honestly, I am. Like <laughs> it, it's not. I don't think it's like good business or even good football sense to try to bring a guy in in January and expect him in the span of about a month and two mm-hmm. or two to just get completely acclimated to the system and how to play. It just – it didn't work for uh, Lasana Diara was a good example of that. Like,
0: or Draxler.
1: And he was going to – well, Draxler is different. Draxler actually <laughs> assimilated pretty well in that first couple of months. Like he was almost an exception to that. Like he was, re, he was solid in that six. In that, uh,
0: he scored a couple goals, yeah.
1: In that winner of seventeen, but I'm even just thinking like, it's actually even harder to to assimilate at a defensive position or a midfield position than it is as an attacker. Because as an attacker, you just your your game's more simplified. So you can, you know, if you can shoot threes on one team, you can shoot threes on another team. Like it's not, mm-hmm. it's not complicated. It's not that complicated. But PSG. And I, and I just, I rebel against this notion that every single player on the team has to be an all-world caliber player. Mm-hmm. There's this school of thought from people that PSG is Real Madrid, where they can have 11 all-world players at one time on the field, and there's no weak points, and there's no anything. Like, that's just not true. Like every team has a weak point and with financial fair play that apparently every team has to abide by you can't have 11 all-world players on your roster at the same time you can't you just you can't afford it you can't afford the salaries the only way you could make that work is if one of your younger players one of your academy players or you or a player you buy Cheaply, early in their career, has that sort of resur- that sort of surge and becomes that kind of all-world player, and you don't have to pay them that much. And then eventually you would have to pay them a lot because they become an all-world player. But for that time where you don't have to, you may have eleven. But look, Barcelona has weak links. Mm-hmm. They're not a perfect team right now. Their midfield isn't like perfect. Their defensive their defense isn't perfect. Real Madrid clearly aren't. They just lost to FC Steve Nash. They're <laughs> not great. Um, Bayern have weak points. They just tied Ausberg. Like defensively, they're still playing Jerome Boateng.
0: Ooh.
1: Like they're still playing Jerome Boateng. They still have Thomas Muller out there. You know, limping his, his carcass out there. <laughs> Juventus is probably the closest thing to a to a team that very little weakness. But even like Matias Delik right now is not playing like, all-world caliber.
0: Well, he's they would be perfect not... if they played the great Adrian Rabio a little bit more.
1: Oh, yeah. He's he's just, you know, what a, good decisions, everybody. You know, <laughs> he's a perfect example of making good life choices. Um, but, yeah, my point being, what is the – really, are you going to take a left back over Juan Bernat right now? I'm not.
0: Mm-hmm. I don't see anybody
1: they could get in January that they could easily assimilate into the team.
0: And I think Krizawa was a fine backup at left back, and his contract He's not, a fine, he's
1: not a fine backup. He's, a, he's not good, but he's <laughs> at least, He. you can get away with playing him in certain games. Yeah. But out of the time, he's uh, – as a left – as a true left back, he is unplayable. You cannot play him. But if you play him as a left winger and you have Diallo playing behind him, you can get away with that. But That's as an true. actual yeah. left back, he's unplayable. I agree with that. And if they could get a guy to be Juan Bernard's backup, that you know, that might be more of a realistic situation.
0: No, th- and this is why everything you're saying, I think, points to Strausberg's La La because he could play right back, he could play left back. We could get him for fourteen million euro. That that is not it's not a huge splash signing. And he, I think he would be available. They're not in any European competition. I'm um, just looking at the table real quick. They're not really threatening. Uh, let's see, they're actually last in league on right now. I, I could see them wanting to get rid of him. And I think he is the kind of mid tier talent that maybe we could surround him with some talent and really bring him, bring out the best in him. I think he's the perfect signing. He can play in both right back, left back. I think it's a no brainer deal in January for all parties involved. Do you do you, do you think
1: that Strasbourg is going to give arguably their best player away to PSG for 14 million euros?
0: Even if it goes to 2025, I still think that's a good deal. I mean, it's not my money, but I still think it's a good deal.
1: But again, 25 million in January for a rotation player.
0: He, he may he, not be he, a rotation player. He may
1: not be, but I think Thomas Tuchel sees Tilo Carrer and Colin Dagba and Thomas Meunier as enough for what he wants to do. Mm-hmm. I don't, I, again, it's like, I, you don't want to get too cute about it. Like if you have a team that's working, then you just ride it out and you see what happens. If it's clear that that right back position is clearly costing you games, which it hasn't really cost them.
0: Games. No, it hasn't. No
1: then you you know you can't you can't spend 25 30 million euros on a guy that might help you in the in the winter when you already have your budget laid out they may have some money to spend but honestly i think there's probably even better places to spend that money yeah. if they are going to spend that money i think you would want to get somebody maybe as a again you I, I, again it's maybe that is the position you spend it on but i'm not spending 25 million i'm getting a guy i'm i'm doing the model that leonardo is doing well which is you get a guy young and you see if you have something with him mm-hmm. and a guy that you don't necessarily expect to start but i I, just, I don't see them splashing money for a for a starter i just i don't see that being feasible
0: that's interesting i mean injuries we've been plagued with them i think if there's some injuries to some key players especially if Munier goes down or even Juan Bernat that may force their hand and speaking of injuries this is just something that we've like just been slammed with since the beginning of the season and you've been very vocal about this and as have I and Tuchel is kind of echoing what we're saying in that um you know there is a lot of injuries going on and we're going to talk about this in the main event but that play is a big part of this, and if someone goes down, we may have to splash that $25 million to bring in a right back or a fullback. So um, something to keep an eye on, for sure. Um, so the next topic I, I want to talk about, and speaking of injuries, Idris Gay and Neymar. Now, these are two players that went off to Singapore. Um, Idrissa Gay with Senegal, Neymar with Brazil. And both of them came back with uh, hamstring injuries. Neymar's was obviously a lot more covered than Idrissa Gay's, and I don't think Idrissa's was really noticed until he was back in Paris and they had a, a chance to take a look at him. Um, that's a long flight. It's humid as hell over there, and they're running around in a meaningless friendly. Um, I'm pulling up his quote right now. Um Tuchel was asked about the the players and the travel and they go away on international duty and he said well yes it is too much there are too many competitions too many matches too many friendly matches too many matches in general and we have a big problem with all of this there's not really any kind of preparation phase players are always playing resting playing short break and then play 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 and ultimately with all the teams playing as many games as you play and all the injuries you always have injuries. Um, he said you're basically he said you're playing the same players all the time in too many games and it leads to what we have seen hit PSG, which is just injuries to their most important players. What do you make of Tuchel's comments?
1: Yes, I agree with Tomas Tuchel.
0: Okay. But also,
1: you know, if if he knows this, maybe lighten up on the practices a little bit and just be a little bit more accommodating to some of these guys who are yeah. Playing all these games, but yes, and I, I yeah. Tuk- what Tukul is saying is correct.
0: And I, I read something where they are going to start going lighter. They're gonna some of these players that are doing all this traveling. They're not gonna push them as hard. But okay, so we'll talk about that a little bit later in the main event. But which one is the bigger injury for you? Is it Adrissa Gay being out for? They say ten days, but that's a few matches. Or Neymar, who's gonna be out probably about a month. Which one's the bigger loss? But, well, Neymar. Yeah. yeah.
1: Losing, losing Neymar for a month is worse than losing Idrissa Gueye for a week. And you're losing Idrissa Gay for a game against Bruges that will be harder because he's not playing, but they still should win it. And unless Marseille can prove that they can come into the Parc des Prince and beat PSG, I'm not exactly as worried about that either. So, if you have to even keep him out another week, okay, but... I'm not worried about a 10-day. A it seemed like that was more just he tweaked it a little bit, and they're just being, you know, typical PSG. They're being overly cautious, and which I guess in a, to a degree is fine. But I, Neymar's is again obviously way more concerning because he just can't stay healthy, and a lot of it's his. A lot of it's not his fault, but you know, at some point you just have to say, well, maybe this just isn't meant to be for him in this situation, you know, he'll probably come back for the Real Madrid match. So he'll be there for the major stuff. Hopefully if he can, mm-hmm. if they can oh. continue, yeah, if they can, you know, monitor his minutes well and not have him just exerting energy that he doesn't or shouldn't need to exert. But yeah, Neymar's injury is obviously the more concerning one because he's had a bunch of them. Although, you know, I almost blame the gay injury on. I I blame the Adrissa gay injury on the international break, and then them having that practice right afterwards. And like, they should really give him a couple days after, and he probably shouldn't have even. He probably wasn't even gonna play against uh against Nice, but they really should have given him a couple days to just reacclimate instead of just throwing him right back in a practice. But you know what do I know?
0: I'm going to channel my inner Skip Bayless and disagree with you in what seems like a pretty obvious answer, which is obviously Neymar is the more uh, is the bigger of the two injuries. But I will go with Idrissa Gay as the bigger injury because we didn't know a whole lot about this, and I feel like they said it's 10 days. I, as what we've seen, these injuries, especially when it's the hamstring, the muscle, they seem to go on and on um i think that's a bigger injury i know neymar has a similar injury but here's why i'm not as concerned it means he's not going to be on the pitch it means that he's not going to be kicked in these league on matches that we're probably going to win anyway we're in commanding lead in the in champions league group if he has this little injury you know muscle strain in his hamstring which i believe the brazil doctor said ah, it's no big deal he's not in any pain i saw on his instagram he's moving around he had like kevin trapp at his place or something like that. He seems like he's in good spirits. He's getting around. I think if we can just keep him in bubble wrap until the knockout stage, or at least until, you know, next year, 2020, um, when we start kicking off the second part of the season, I think that that could only maybe benefit. Guillaume kind of alluded to this um, on Twitter, fellow PSG talk contributor, um, Guillaume. He, uh, he said this, that, you know, if he's not out there getting kicked, that means hopefully he'll be healthy when we actually need him. So, Yeah, but you know what, but
1: that's, but that's, but that's fool's errand, because last year he got hurt around this time too, and it was the groin injury, and he missed like a month, and he only played against like, he only played the the match against uh, Red Star, I think. No, he played the match against Liverpool hurt, and then he played the match against Red Star hurt. So he he pretty much played two games in one month, came back. Went to Qatar with the team, came back, and then immediately re-injured his foot. Mm-hmm. So it, it again, it's like is an injury. Are you expecting an injury-prone player to all of a sudden not get injured because he got injured before, and that like it doesn't work that way. Like he's not if this doesn't if this it's not like he has two injuries a year and he's used up one. But that's not how this works. Like Adrissa Gay, I'm pretty sure if this goes longer. Yeah, I would agree with you, but I don't imagine this going much longer. And I think that the difference in the injuries is probably pretty clear. Like again, the difference between a a contraction and a a tear, which is based a a a micro tear of a hamstring, is compared to a a contraction that leaves you in mm. some pain. It, it's not,
0: they're not the same thing. We, we have way too many muscle injuries and we'll talk about that later, but let's, let's go to our last topic of our opening five, which is the champions league. We've got a champions league game on Tuesday, which I believe I haven't looked at this, but I can't imagine it would be on the main, what is it? TNT bleacher report channel. So if you're listening to this and you're in the United States and you want to watch, it looks like you're going to have to pony up the two ninety nine, I think it is the stream it from bleacher report. Um, but, yeah, they, they'll travel to Bruges. Um, a lot of fans who want to go to the game will have to take a, a bus from either Paris or a, a town just over the line between um, France and Belgium. So we'll have some traveling supporters, a lot of security there. Um, I'm expecting a great atmosphere. Bruges is in second place in Group A. Um, they've got two draws, so they've got two points. We're the only team that has actually one game, so we're we're two for two. Commanding lead. If we win this game, we may not even need to play Neymar later in the group stage against Real Madrid. Um, Real Madrid are in last place in the group, so it'll be interesting who will be available. I think Kylian Mbappe is going to be starting in this match. He came in, I think I mentioned about 10 minutes against Nice. I don't think Edinson Cavani. There was a piece in La Prisienne that, that Cavani is really just not in Tuchel's plans for these big games, so I think he may be watching from the bench. Di Maria is in great form. I think he'll start. Sarabi is a, a, a potential. accardi has been great. Um, have some decisions to make in the midfield. I think Munier will return at right back. I think Bernat will be back at left back. And I think Kempembe and Silva will be your, your back four. But do you think? are you worried about Bruges at all in this away match? It's their second away match in less than a week coming off an international break. You wouldn't be surprised if it was a draw. But what, what are you expecting from this match?
1: No, I'd be surprised if it was a draw. Actually, I'd be shocked if it was a draw.
0: Even Um, after what they did against uh, Real Madrid? I mean, they should have won that game. I thought they had a bullshit VAR call that gave Real Madrid a goal that the guy was clearly offside. I think it was Sergio Ramos, but um, they looked really good.
1: Yeah, but it's easy to look good in a game once when you're all fired up and ready to go. I don't Again, unless they just are way, way better than, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, they played above, they played way above their level against Real Madrid. And that Real Madrid team is struggling. Let's put it like that. Yes. And Bruges are full of players, and I'm looking at their players right now, players that I, quite frankly, either have never heard of or haven't heard of in a long, long time you might think there's a little bit of concern without Adrisa gay. They obviously have not given up goals when he plays, they give up goals when he doesn't. Right. But you know, this is not a great football team. It's just, it's not a great football team. And quite frankly, it's up to PSG to beat teams like this. And they're in the Champions League but they're one of those teams that you put in the Champions League that should, you know, you should beat. Like the expectation is not a draw here. The expectation is they beat them by 3 or 4 goals. That may not happen and Bruges might give them a game. But they can't think that way, especially at this point when they have the league they they have the the group really in the palm of their hands. Yeah. Like, this is where you get this game, and I've said it many times, the the key to the Champions League is you have to win 10 points. If you can get to 10 points, there's a good chance that you're going to advance. There's actually usually a great chance you're going to
0: advance. Absolutely.
1: So, if they win this game against Bruges, that gets them to 9, and then you assume that they probably beat them at the Parc des Prince, that gets you to 12. And then mm-hmm. at that point, you're pretty much in. Yeah. So... I don't see this being that difficult, but again, we could, I could be wrong. I've been wrong before. <laughs> so you just have to, if you're being like PSG and this is where it's like, look, if I'm to go like, just play Mbappe from the beginning of the game. Yeah. Get the lead early. And if you feel like you can't go 90 minutes, take him out in the 45th or the 60th minute. Don't have him come in the game and have to work himself into it. Let him just start. Mbappe, if you play Mbappe, Icardi, and Di Maria, and you get a 2-0 lead, then you can bring Chupo Moting in. You can play a 4-4-2, and you could sort of sit on the game a little bit. That's the way to go. You don't mess around with, hey, let's play this four Let's put Chupo Moting in. Let's, you know, I just don't mess around with it. I don't yeah. see a reason to when you can get the guy in and he clearly is not 100% mentally, but I think he's pretty much where he needs to be health wise.
0: They, they said that they were going to evaluate him after the game just to make sure there was no reaggravation and anything that I've read online, I haven't seen anything. Thing where it came out that said, hey, he's feeling some discomfort, blah, blah, blah. So I think the expectation is he no, is. Well, he to has start. to play
1: and he has yeah. to start opening it up a little bit. That's yeah. just how this these injuries work. So
0: absolutely. I was just looking here real quick. Um, again, for those in the United States, it looks like on Tuesday your options are gonna be Atletico Madrid versus Bayer Leverkusen, and then you'll have Manchester City versus Atalanta. So again, if you want to watch PSG at Club Bruges, you're gonna have to stream it. Uh, through Bleacher Report or find some stream elsewhere. Um, I think I think Real Madrid have to go to Galatasaray. That's a game that I'm gonna be keeping an eye on as well. Could you is it possible Real Madrid doesn't qualify from the knockout stage? If, if they lose
1: to Galatasaray there is there's a chance. And, I mean, and that's a that's games. But I
0: that's that's I mean that's the bigger storyline here. The still, <laughs> I don't
1: think first of all Ed, I do not think that will be allowed to happen.
0: Ooh, okay. I think there
1: will be forces that step in.
0: An Alabama through. Crimson Tide situation, where they'll have outside forces come in to make to correct any any wrongdoing by if Galatasaray. Did, there,
1: yes, there cannot be a the, yes. If there is a chance for the outside interference to make sure that Real Madrid makes it out of this group, they will they will do what they need to do.
0: Well, we uh, saw that with VAR. I mean, it was a clear as day that Ramos, again, I believe it was him, was clearly offside. They went to VAR, VAR review. Nope, he was onside. Unless I need to get my prescription, and my glasses fixed, that is atrocious. And I, I, kind of feel what you're saying. I, I, I don't think UEFA is going to allow Real Madrid not to qualify. But God, that'd be amazing.
1: Well, let's put again if Galatasaray beats them. Then you got to start. Then you got to start thinking about it.
0: I don't know because I mean that would put Galatasaray at four points. Brug- Real if at Brug- it, would be,
1: it would be Galatasaray at four. Real Madrid would be at one. Bruges would be at
0: two, two. Yeah.
1: And PSU would be at nine. And at that point, PSU would have a very good chance to knock out Real Madrid early in the group stage if they want. If they wanted to try to go for that.
0: And I think but well, we're getting
1: ahead of ourselves, Ed. We're sure. getting we're getting way ahead of ourselves. Let's get through let's get through Tuesday first.
0: What does your midfield look like for Bruges?
1: Um Marquinhos, Herrera, Veratti. Don't over, yeah. don't overcomplicate it. Just 4-3-3. Yeah. Don't overcomplicate it. Don't try anything silly. Silva, no Paredes. Don't don't overcomplicate this. Paredes can come in the game later, but I I don't want to have I want in Champions League games, no matter who we're playing, I want people who can run and Paredes can't run. I need people who can run and track back and play defense. Paredes can't do that.
0: No, he can't. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking we're going to win. I think I predicted, I wrote something. I think I said 2 0 or 2 1, something like that. So I'm confident we're going to get a win here. Hopefully Mbappe starts. I'm really, I can't wait to see card. He's been in great form. I want to see him get some goals. Um, And Di Maria has been amazing. So I think it'll be a good win. I think we can win. Um, It'll be interesting. We were just talking about how the group will play out when PSG plays Real Madrid at Real Madrid. I don't think we will have a whole lot to play for. But hey, if we put out a good lineup, we could have an opportunity to put Real Madrid out of the knockout stage. I I think that's something Tuchel would very much be interested in. I know he would want to rest his players, but an opportunity to embarrass a club like Real Madrid who are going to come for Kylian Mbappe. You that's something you need to think about. If if they're going to make a bid from Mbappe, how great would it be for uh, Leonardo and Nasser to say, "You want to go to Real Madrid? They, we just knocked their asses. Out. They didn't even make the the knockout stage. You talk about us, you know, losing in the round of 16. They didn't even make it. Why would you want to go there?" Something to think about.
1: Indeed, I'd say something very much to think about.
0: So, Main topic time. We kind of alluded to it a number of times. But we want to get to Tuchel's comments about players just participating in way too many games. And I read some of his comments where he's talking about, you know, you have the Copa America. You got the African Cup of Nations. You've got all of these different international tournaments. You've got friendlies. And what he's saying is, you know, fans are turning up. They want to see the best players at the top of their game. But they can't because they're on so many flights. And they're playing so many friendly games, and it's always the same players, and it affects the player's health. And he said, we really do lack phases where players can prepare properly so that they can be at their top level. That's what he said when asked about this. Um, I looked over on RMC Sport, and they said—they have a quote, it said, from a player, an unnamed player. Um, and this was after the game against Toulouse, where Cavani and Mbappe, both of them picked up their original injuries. And the player said, we only sprint, it's tiring, it's not suitable. So you have a manager talking about this, you've got players talking about this, the human body can only be pushed so far, and I feel like with international football, we are pushing the boundary of what the human body can do when it comes to playing football at an extremely high level, and players are breaking down, and unfortunately for PSG, they've kind of really been hit with this, and so... Obviously, you agree with these comments, but do you think anything could happen? Even uh, just one more quick point. Our friend Craig Burley at ESPN said we should abolish international friendlies full stop. We don't learn anything from them. I think that's a great idea. I heard someone talk about maybe you make it so you limit the number of international friendlies a player can play in any given year. That's an that's an idea. That way it's kind of a little bit of a compromise. Do you think anything's going to change? Given these comments?
1: Well, not given the comments, but it, uh, football has a problem. And it's a problem that all of these sports have to deal with at some point or another. And that is oversaturation. And there are people who are like, well, you can never have too much football. I would say, nay, nay. I would say that you can definitely have too much football. And right now, we have too much football. We have football in August. We have football in September, October, November, December, January, February, March, April, May. And then we have cup tournaments, international tournaments in June and July. At this point, players are getting, at this point, like about six, seven weeks off on average. And really, the only time these guys get to rest is when they're injured. We're getting to a point where the quality of the product goes down the more these guys play these matches. And yes, there are players who are tanks, who just can play those 50 to 55 games a year, plus the seven or eight international games on top of that, and they're fine, and they don't get hurt. But what eventually happens to those players like an Edinson Cavani is a perfect example of this. Mm-hmm. Here's a guy that for the first 10 years of his career at the top level, never got hurt, always ran, always hustled, always made all these matches. And you see what's happening now. He's breaking down rapidly. It's a rapid decline of a player Who again for ten years didn't really get hurt that much, and we know this about footballers that usually they start to conk out in their early thirties. And the reason these guys are usually done in their early thirties, on on a high level, is because you play all these games. You play thirty eight regular season league games in league on. La Liga, Premier League, Syria play 38. Bundesliga plays 34. Then, if you're playing in cup competitions, you're playing at minimum, you know, one or two extra. If you go all the way in those competitions, you're going to play six or seven more. PSG, because they've had to play the Coupe de la Ligue and the Coupe de France, are playing like 10 extra games a year in cup matches. Then you talk about the champions league Add another six games for the group stage. And then on average, about four, you know, two to four games it's been recently. If they go further, it'll be more. So now we're talking about over 55 games a year, which is more than a game a week on average. And then we take on top of that, and we add three weeks worth of international friendlies in you know in the in the fall in summer. Then you add another couple in the spring, and then you add international tournaments. And now you're talking about seventy games. These, if you are a top level footballer, there is a potential that you would play a maximum of around 70 games. Now, most players are going to get some times off and games off, but they're not going to get 20 or 30 games off. They're going to get like five or 10. So now bump that back down to about 60 games. That's not good. Like, those players should not be playing that much. And that's part of this. The humanity of letting these players have breaks and not overworking them and not running them into the ground like plow horses. You know, it's it gets mm-hmm. to a point where it's like Boxer in Animal Farm where you put where you you drive the horse into the ground, he works till the last possible scintilla of strength he has and then they sell him to the glue factory. Like that's what it is with these players. And in this case the glue factory is going back to their home country and you know, like Danny Alves right now is playing in Sao Paulo, you know, Ronaldinho was playing, you know, 10 years way past his prime, but he was playing in lesser leagues and he was, you know, he was making a living, but it's, that shouldn't be the case. Those players should be going out at the top of their games in high level places. They shouldn't, you know, like, Zlatan Ibrahimovic shouldn't have to go play in the MLS.
0: I was going to say, that's your glue factory, the MLS. (laughs) That should be their tagline. Major League Soccer, World Football's glue factory.
1: Yes. You know, they're the the, the farm upstate where they bring the dogs. (laughs) But that's, like, should that, you know, like, think about it like this. In the NBA, could you imagine Michael Jordan at, like, 40 years old playing in China? (gasps) No. No, because that wouldn't happen. Why should that happen to these international footballers? Why shouldn't these guys be able to play three or four more years past their normal prime? Why shouldn't these guys be able to play into their mid-late thirties at a somewhat of a high level and retire at the, you know, retire near the top of their game as opposed to being journeymen at the end of their careers because they need the money. Like I just, like, that's part of it. The other part of this is the fa's for these nations have way too much fucking power they're like the federal government you know they're like they they're they have so much power over club teams to essentially just request any player they like to come play their random stupid matches that don't matter
0: except for the us team they have no power whatsoever
1: yeah but the idea here is look PSG play, pay Neymar 40 million euros a year. Now, that's PSG's problem. They're the ones that are paying him that. But still, they're paying him 40 million euros a year. And they are hinging all of their success on the, you know, on this idea that Neymar can stay healthy and play most of their games. mm mm-hmm. And two consecutive years now, Neymar has gotten injured in a Brazil-friendly, in meaningless matches, actually three times in the last year. He got the groin injury last November. He got the what was the injury he got against uh, Qatar? It was a, it was another ankle injury, wasn't it, or something?
0: Yeah, I think, yeah, that was like a, a, almost like a scrimmage or some kind of friendly ahead of the Copa America, wasn't it? Yeah! Yeah.
1: Why did he have to play in that game? <laughs> why Why does Neymar have to get acclimated to the Brazilian national team? Like, he doesn't need to get acclimated to shit, he's Neymar. Don't even. You don't even have to play. Play Vinicius in those fucking games. Neymar can just show up and ball. That's what everyone else does. Like for for heaven's sake. Like and then he gets hurt in October against Nigeria in Singapore. <sighs> they're pl- they're sending these Brazil players on these ten hour flights to Singapore so that they can go whore themselves out and make all this money for the Brazilian FA so that the Brazilian FA can keep the lights on in their offices or something.
0: I can and almost justify the friendly against Senegal because that was his 100th cap. I can I can understand that as meaningless as it is, but why was he playing against Nigeria? You know, there was the no Co- reason. The
1: Copa America next year, he could get his 100th cap in those games, matter and count. Like, if you are these players for all the 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 all the sacrifices they make, all the damage they do to their bodies, they should not be playing in meaningless friendlies. They just shouldn't be. Yeah. There's no reason to. He's not a 20-year-old kid trying to impress his national team. Like there's no reason for it. There's no justifiable reason that a guy like David De Gea or Neymar, or there was another guy that got hurt in one of these friendlies. There's no reason for it. And at some point, the, the clubs are going to have to all get together and say, look, these are our assets. We pay them. We get right of refusal. Mm-hmm. We say, when these FAs are allowed to use these players. And you know what? I think for the most part, they would allow these players to play in international qualifiers or obviously the World Cup and European Championships. There should be exceptions to the rule, but there is no reason for friendlies. Quite frankly, there's no reason for European qualifiers because, you know, why? Like, have the top 12 teams automatically make it, and then everyone else gets to qualify. You know, why do I have to watch France play Andorra? Why do I have to watch them play Liechtenstein?
0: Yeah, I love
1: qualify? that. Why does Kylian Mbappe have to go play Liechtenstein? And that's another stupid thing.
0: It's got to like get acclimated. The
1: national team was able to bring Kylian Mbappe to, La- to Clairefontaine, yep. work him out, have him do practices with them. Only for PSG to make this point like, hey, you're not going to use this guy, are you? Like, he's hurt. And you should be able to beat Andorra and fucking Iceland and Turkey. You should be able to do that. So can we have our player back so you don't get him hurt? Like, thank you. They had to, like, beg the French Federation of Football to, like, let them have their $20 million player back. Like, this is absurd. This would be like... In the middle of the season, LeBron James and, like, 12 of the best players in the NBA being called up by the United States national team to go play friendlies in China. Now, I know they don't have a great relationship in China right now. So let's say in Japan. Yeah. yeah. How stupid would that be? That wouldn't happen. No. It wouldn't be allowed to happen because it's dumb. Because... It would be like, oh, well, we have to get ready for the Olympics. So we're going to play Japan's national team. And it's like, no, that wouldn't happen because it's stupid. And just because we've done stuff in the past doesn't mean we still have to do it. Just because it's a tradition that we do something stupid doesn't mean we have to continue to do that stupid thing. So my opinion is abolish all international friendlies. They're not needed. They're not necessary. In buildups to major tournaments, you can do friendlies before those tournaments, two or three of them before you play in a major tournament to get your rhythm as a team. Mm -hmm. And that's really all you need anyway. So, no friendlies in the middle of the year at all. If you want to do that, you have to give it back to the players. And what I mean by that is. Do something where you either eliminate the cup competitions entirely, or you limit the first tier to 16 teams and you play a 30-game schedule. But these players can't keep playing these games. It's not healthy. It's not, it's not fair. It's not right. It's not healthy for these players. And just because these FAs need to whore themselves out to make money doesn't mean that PSG and any other club should have to lose their prized players that can cost the money and championships for meaningless games that don't, and I keep mm-hmm. stressing this, these games don't count. People do not watch them. People do not care about them. They're just there to make money. They're not there for any real value. They don't make the team better. They don't do any of that. Because the players aren't even really putting a lot of effort into these games because they're friendlies and they're exhausted. So why even do them? You I'm make, sorry, anybody that no. thinks that these things are good ideas are idiots and they're not worth my time.
0: You make a ton of great points and I can't push back on any of them. I think there's a couple things that are at play here. Obviously money. There is a lot of money to be had by these FAs by playing in these international friendlies. So that's one thing. The other thing is that I believe that the FAs prey off of these players' love of their country, and they feel as though when they're called up, Neymar has an obligation, he feels, to Brazil, to basically do anything that they say. And so the FAs know this, and they know that Neymar's not going to turn them down, so that's why they call him up, and this goes with any other player. There's just something intrinsic with footballers where they feel a loyalty to their country, to play in these meaningless friendly, as you mentioned, LeBron James. I'm sure he loves the United States, but he loves money, and he loves his health, and he loves NBA championships more. And so if they called him up mid-season, he would say, I'm sorry, guys, I've got a little knee issue right now. I don't know if I can make it. And no one bats an eye, and that's fine. Here in the United States, we have, obviously, the NBA, where yeah, they used the, to – Yeah, but I hate to cut oh, up, but I'll just
1: yeah. make this quick. It's a perfect example of this. There were the world championships this year. Yeah. Literally no good NBA players were there. No. They just said, "You know what? This isn't important. I want my rest. Screw this. Let the let you know. Let Joe Harris play in these games. Yeah. Who give? Who gives a crap?
0: Yeah, no. And no one thought Kawhi Leonard hated his country because he didn't play. Yeah. No one thought this, but for some reason. If Neymar doesn't play for Brazil, people think, oh, he hates his country. And it's not the case. Oh, Harry Kane hates England because he didn't go and play in some meaningless friendly. It's stupid. And I don't know why, what needs to happen for that disconnect to work both in international football like it does here in the United States. But, like I was saying, again, you know, in the NBA, there used to be, and you probably remember this, they used to play a ton of back-to-back games. They don't do that anymore. The NBA realized by playing these back-to-back games, they were grinding down their players, and so now they don't have as many of those. And not only that, teams realize, hey, we can't play LeBron James, Anthony Davis, Kawhi Leonard, all these guys, we can't play them in all of these games and pound their bodies for 82 games. So not only have they cut back on the back-to-backs, but they also give them a rest. In baseball pitchers. I'm sure the Washington Nationals would love to throw Strasburg and Max Scherzer out there every single every other day, but they can't because you cannot the human body cannot throw a baseball 100 miles an hour every single day. You have to give them 5 days sometimes 6 days to rest their arm. In football, they they have NFL games on Thursday, and they have them on Sunday, and they have them on Monday. And I'm sure the NFL would love to have more games, but the players are pushing back. They don't want any more games because it's too much on the human body. It's a very physical game. And so I say all of this because I think in football, nothing will happen until the players rise up and say enough is enough. They need to be they need to stop being worried about being called unpatriotic. They need to stand up and tell FA's hey, I got a little back injury. I'm not going to show up. Or my my foot hurts. I'm not showing up for this. It needs to come from the players. I'm not sure the FAs, I'm not sure the clubs can work this out. It needs to be the players. Almost like with Raheem Sterling and the whole racism issue that he's kind of bringing to light and having teams walk off the pitch. It needs to be an organic, player-driven thing where they just say, enough of playing all of these games. And when the players say that, I think then – the FAs will start listening. And maybe they will start cutting down on these international friendlies. And so that's how I think you rectify this. there there
1: There has to be a rule change. There has to be a fundamental rule change. Now, whether that gets driven by the players or not, I don't know. But there has to be a fundamental rule change that the FAs can't just call players up whenever they want. Like, there has to be a limit. There has to be... To me, what would make sense is there has to be a limit to how many play, games a player can play in a season.
0: In a, that
1: would what, be my role. And the rule would be a very simple rule. It's just you can play a maximum of 45 games a year.
0: What do you think would happen if Neymar said to Brazil, I'm too tired. I can't play in this friendly. I'm not reporting. What happens?
1: They'd be fine. Well, they'd be... People would, some people would be up in arms about it, but who cares? Yeah. And, and this is the problem. Here's the here's the problem, and this is not to get too sure overly political, but we live in a country where we have to out to stupid people, <laughs> and we have to make sure that all the stupid people have their feelings intact. Yes. And they're, you know, there's there dumb stupid things they believe in or that they think. We can't say that they're dumb or stupid. We have to say that they're different or that that's what they believe. And we don't, we don't stand up and say, no, that's stupid. You shouldn't do that. Or no, this is science. This is how science works. Just because you don't believe something doesn't mean that if you, just because you're too dumb to believe the science doesn't mean the science doesn't exist. So in this case, it's like, why do we have to worry what stupid people say? Or, you know. People go, oh, you know, well, I, I like, you know, I, I want to, you know, I want to watch so many different Brazil games. And, you know, I, I want to, you know, you don't listen to those people. Do the smart thing. Don't do the stupid thing because you're worried about what the stupid people will think. Do the thing that the smart people know is the right thing to do because that's the right thing to do. Like this isn't, to me, this isn't hard. But we make things hard because we have to make sure that every... You know, everybody's pleased and we have to feel this insatiable appetite for football when less is usually more. Let's play less games and let's make them all more meaningful. If we do that, then everyone will be happy. And even if they don't think they'll be happy, eventually they'll be happy about it because they don't need to watch a football game every week. They can go a week without watching a football match. I I can go a week without watching a football match. I've done it before. It's great.
0: It's great. Read a book. No, go on. go to a museum. You don't need to watch Brazil, Nigeria from Singapore. Go to a museum.
1: Don't, yeah. Don't don't do. Yeah. Don't encourage this. Don't watch these stupid friendlies because they're they are, That's what they are. They're stupid. I keep saying that word a lot, but I want to drive it home. It's stupid, stupid, stupid that forty million dollar a year players are being injured in games in Singapore against a team that they're never actually going to play unless it's in the World Cup for no for no real money even they're not even getting like compensated like properly for these games and it,
0: it has I'm to like- be said it has to be said PSG did a preseason tour in China for money it has to be said it it made no footballing sense other than just to reach the the the, the audience there which is very large and something they want to capture it wasn't great probably for the players and the humidity and everything else they probably should be training closer to home so PSG are just as guilty as this as but some the, of the difference a's.
1: the difference is and no, it's not great it's not yeah. great let's put it that yeah. right. great the difference is those players are being paid handsomely to be there absolutely and they're they're the employees they're not in, footballers are not independent contractors they're employees they mm-hmm. get paid a salary which means if the play, if the if the um, if PSG wants to send them to Timbuktu or to you know Cape Town, South Africa, or to play a friendly in Iceland, well they kind of have to do that because they're employees and they get paid to do that. Right. The FAs don't pay nearly enough money to these players, and they don't really pay them that much at all. They essentially do it on a basis of volunteer work at this point, like
0: and some of the FAs don't pay on time or it's not what they agreed upon. I think set a Senegal. Yep. Yeah. So
1: it, it, that's what I mean. It's not, it's not equitable. It's not fair. It's not the labor laws are not sound on this. I just think there's a chance that if somebody wanted to protest it and really take it to court, I think they could win against FIFA because it's, It really is. It it makes no logical sense to have these rules
0: in place. Great conversation on that. We'll probably have more as there's more international breaks coming up. So we'll have a lot more to say, I'm sure. But let's go ahead and get out of here. We do have, Mark, a few questions did come in real quick. So just quick one or two sentences on these and we'll get out of here. Um, At AMR Blocker wants to know. What makes PSG players lose their concentration and mentality while they are winning and how to overcome this? I start to worry when we score early in a match because of this, like what happened in the second half versus Nice. We did win that game 4-1, but you know, it was a game until, you know, two of their players were sent off with red cards, so why do they lose their mentality?
1: Boy, we've had that conversation <laughs> before a lot. Uh to sort of break it down pretty simply, um they're not they really haven't been coached well over the years and those players have not really been given a system that allows them to sort of properly handle mental struggle. Like there's not enough structure in what they do to sort of prepare them for it. So really the key is that a coach, whether it be Tuchel or somebody else, you have to develop a structure and a and a culture. Where there's accountability, where there's focus, where every, you know, where every, you know, where it's not just sort of, it's not a country club, nor is every game the most important game in the world. You have balance, you have competitive nature in it. It's it's all that stuff layered to one. But to, again, simply put, the coaching, the coaching has to be better to put those guys in spots where they can develop those kind of good habits. You want to develop good habits, not bad habits. and to, so many times their players develop bad habits.
0: yeah, I would agree with that. Just bad habits. I think just a I don't know sometimes it's inexplainable you know what happens and why they lose their concentration. I just think they just run through the motions and then once the tide starts turning against them, they're just not mentally strong enough or they haven't been in the past and they just get overwhelmed and We've seen it happen a few times. So um, next question is from at David Froster, a potential Tiago Silva replacement. Do you have anyone in mind? I mean, he, he's probably going to leave next summer. Do you think we have? After, yeah, After Diallo. Yeah, Diallo.
1: That's why he was brought in.
0: Yeah.
1: That's really why he was brought in. To I was trying to think
0: head. of anyone else out there who PSG made target, maybe a, a big signing or something. I mean, um, Van Dyke's probably obviously a no. Deliced is a no. Any of these big, you know, center backs recently. Harry Maguire maybe.
1: <laughs> no, there's some good center backs. Uh, Joris Yanyan, I think I said that name right from Ren. I like okay. him as a big physical threat. Um, there's guys. There's guys you could get, but you're not getting a delete. So you're not getting okay. big you're not getting that kind of level center back. But I've always you know,
0: liked uh, Issa Diop. I think he plays at West Ham now. I've always kind of liked him. He was at Toulouse before.
1: Issa Diop's a good player, but I think Diallo ha- should have the opportunity to take that spot.
0: Yeah. Good call. Um, at ADZ122, I wanted to know, does Di Maria hate Accardi? And I wasn't sure what he meant by that. But then he said um, he cannot watch the game, but French Twitter is all about how Di Maria doesn't pass the ball to Accardi. There's a whole bunch of stuff going on with the Argentina national team, which I'm not going to get into here. But do you see any rift between those two at all, just from the game against Nice?
1: How I, many games have they played together? Four, maybe?
0: Yeah, just a couple. This
1: is the same stuff they said about Neymar and Cavani. It's the same yeah. exact thing. Okay. Which is the French like to create drama. They're gossip queens. <laughs> so anytime anytime there's a opportunity to create a story, they do. Yeah. That's what happens. That's what the French do. It's, it's, it's gossip. And there's no evidence for it, so there's no real reason to justify it because there's no evidence. Unless you think that Lionel Messi is, like, sending text messages to Angel Di Maria telling him to, you know, not pass to Mauro Like <laughs> I, I don't see that happening. I, maybe Angel Di Maria is not that, you know... I don't know. Like, what, it's been four <laughs> games like it's silly it's like they don't i don't know it's silly it's more silliness
0: okay i got one question this came in from at psg talk i'm, I'm asking you a question do you find it as weird as i do that Lena messi keeps talking about neymar and the transfer that didn't happen and so and so said this and some guys don't want him to come every time this guy is in an interview and he's asked about neymar he's got something to say is the i find it to be incredibly weird that he just won't stop talking about Neymar and people are like what is he supposed to say when he's asked you can be like Bill Belichick and say we're we're on to Ibar you know like he's a good player he's a friend of mine i wish him well that's it but he always has some information that he wants to to talk about Neymar and i find it weird as hell do you, do you agree with this
1: no it's messy it's messy trying to take control of Look, Messi wants to be the sporting director. Like that's it's pretty mm. obvious that he wants to be the sporting the unofficial sporting director. Like that's what he wants. He wants to pick his he he he's been there long enough. He's basically a god in that city. So why wouldn't he want to pick the players? He wanted to play with Neymar. I don't mm-hmm. know how much like Bartomeu wanted Neymar back or any of those guys, but Messi wanted it, so he tried to get it. So I think this is Messi just going, you know, don't blame me if yeah. this doesn't go well. I wanted Neymar, but there were people here that didn't <laughs> want him. So when we lose in the semifinals or the quarterfinals of the Champions League again, don't blame me. It wasn't my fault.
0: He's I hedging, yeah.
1: Neymar. That's what this is. It's, it's Messi covering okay. his own ass. That's what it is.
0: Got it. I love it. I always enjoy some messy hate on the podcast. That's all that we've got here for you today. Thank you for listening to the 1970. We're going to have a bunch more on psgtalk.com coming up on the Bruges game. And then we've got the Le Classique against uh, Marseille at the Parc des Princes coming up on Sunday, is it, I believe. So it's going to be a busy week for us, just like it is for the players. Um, want to thank our sponsors, Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Um, go check them out for our podcasts as well as a ton of other great content. Um, Mark, how can folks find you? And if you want to plug anything, this is your opportunity.
1: You can find me at MarkDamon1, and not much to plug except um we'll, we'll have a show next week or so. Maybe we'll cover the, you know, maybe we'll cover the classic live.
0: Yeah, it's possible. That's yeah, we could do day. that cool yeah and we're gonna so obviously this is the 1970 we're gonna be recording a PSG talking podcast trying to get some of the other guys together um after the the match on tuesday so keep an eye out for that visit our podcast network page and subscribe to everything so that way you don't miss any episodes um so for mark i'm ed thanks for listening we'll catch you next time
1: all right well, for now